Good morning. If you're new, welcome to Scarlet City Church. My name is Jay O'Brien, and I have the privileges of serving as a pastor here, and we're delighted to have you as our guest. Our vision and really mantra for why we're here is we want to be a people joining God's story of transformation and renewal. And if you're new, I and others would love to connect with you and get to know you a little bit, share a little bit more about who we are. And again, that vision of joining God's story was beautifully expressed yesterday at the, uh, at the Community Health Day. And um, you know, when we purchased the building, we wanted to see this be a place that, that presented an opportunity for us to reflect that vision in a real concrete way. And opening it up to people to come and to get vision screenings, haircuts, uh, health screenings. This is a, a great way uh, for people to to experience wholeness and health. And at Scarlet City, we have a holistic vision that we want to see people uh, uh, healthy spiritually, but also emotionally and physically. And so thank you, everyone, who is a part of making that happen. There was a lot of work that went into it. And the best part about it is seeing people serve and have fun. It was like a fun thing. And so thank you all for, for serving. I want to invite you to open your Bibles up to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. Psalm, uh, you could open up to the, right in the middle of your Bible and flip over to chapter 1. And we've been the past several weeks in the Gospel of Matthew looking at Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and his teachings about the kingdom of God. And this week we begin looking through the book of Psalms for a number of weeks and we'll begin in chapter 1. I'll read our passage this morning, all of Psalm 1. It reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, Psalm, this, this book, this collection of prayers that reflect the spiritual life, how to thrive spiritually in walking with God, begins... With this statement, blessed is the man, blessed is the person. And if you've been with us the past several weeks, you, you know that, that idea of blessed. That's how Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount, with nine statements of blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus begins his famous sermon with nine declarations of blessing. And, and one of the things we've talked about is that blessing, the idea here is happiness and flourishing. It's not just some uh, divine gift from God, but the concept in the Greek of Jesus' teaching and here in Psalms in the Hebrew is flourishing, human happiness and flourishing. And this Right, right from the beginning, it reminds us that one of the central, in fact, the central truths of Scripture is that God is for your flourishing. He is for 
your happiness. Jesus wasn't preaching a new idea. He was continuing a theme and a central message that emerges in the Old Testament. The Psalms begin by saying, blessed is the man that wants to articulate how we can experience happiness, how we can flourish. Now, happiness and flourishing are uh, they're hot topics today. Positive psychology is a, is a huge field of study, and, and people want to be happy. We, we want to be happy. I mean, sometimes it feels like some people don't want to be happy, but really, generally, if we're honest, we all want happiness. We want to flourish. We don't want to just grind it out in life. We don't want to just survive. We want to live. Happiness is central to not just our spiritual life, but happiness is central to life as a whole. But of course, there's a problem, right? I mean, it's how to find happiness, so to speak. I mean, we live in America where, you know, we, we talk about life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. This is foundational to us as Americans, but how do we find it? And typically, we kind of go to one or two ways, traditionally. Uh, one way of experiencing happiness is to avoid hardship, right? to avoid conflict, to avoid situations that will take away happiness, to avoid hard relationships, to avoid hard conversations, to avoid hard work, things we wouldn't want to do. If we want to be happy, we think we need to avoid hard situations, hard relationships, hard places. But then also, it's not just avoiding something. We want to find it. We want to pursue it. And really here, we kind of live by a motto of if, if and none of us will like say this, but we live by it. And it's, if I can just get what I want, if I can get the relationship that I want, you know, life to be happy, it's not just to survive. It's getting what you desire, getting your wants. And so if I get the relationship that I want, then I'll be happy. If I get the toys that I want, then I'll be happy. If I get the car that I want, if I can go on the vacation, the right vacation, then I can be happy. And of course, I mean, we know this. You, you're not a fool. Scholars know this today that you can't avoid all the pains of life. And the more that you get, the more desires that you have, the more you just want more. It doesn't bring this genuine, lasting happiness. And so actually today in positive psychology, if you, if you look at it, what they will tell you is you need to be just okay with yourself. You need to have personal peace. It's bigger than your circumstances. But the problem here is that if happiness just comes from within then it's just as superficial, just as fleeting as trying to find it outside. We need, we need something that is both bigger than ourselves, but has the capacity to transform our inner being. The psalmist says, blessed is the one who delights in the law of God. This book on prayer begins with a take on how God's word, God's truth, God's story can be the foundation, the, the water 
that can lead to flourishing and happiness. And so this morning, let's look at that, how God's word can enable your happiness, how God's word can be the well, the water on which you can draw to experience genuine happiness. Now, I mean, I, I searched the interwebs. No, no one said God's Bible, the, God's word is what you need to be happy. I mean, this is you know, countercultural for our world today. In fact, many of us, we look and we're like, you know, God's word would be like the opposite of happiness. I, you know, it, it seems like, how are these going to connect? I want to show you. Two ways, two ways God's word can, can bring genuine happiness and flourishing in life. Uh, first, again, we're asking, how can God's word be a source of happiness and flourishing? You see that God's word, it anchors us it anchors us in a life-giving truth and story. A truth and story that is, that is bigger than ourselves. And in the psalm, there's two metaphors. The tree and the shaft. It says this in verse 3. He, the blessed man, the, the happy man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, in all that he, that he does, he prospers. That The blessed man, the happy man, is someone who's anchored. And, and there's roots that are connected to a source of life. But the chaff, and chaff was, it was uh, just the leftovers from an ear of corn or wheat that, that when they're plucked. And so when the wind came, it would just blow away. And so the tree was connected to a source of a life-giving source. The tree had roots that provided permanence and stability, and the, truth, the tree bore fruit. And the chaff was just blown away. When the wind came, it just disappeared. There's a contrast between the tree that is rooted, that is anchored. You know, a tree, you, you don't just pull out a tree like you would pull out a flower or you would pull out weeds. A tree has a degree of permanence and strength, and many of them are older than we are. They, they live generations, and they're strong enough to break through concrete. You just don't pull out a tree. In fact, we have some old trees in, in, our, in our home, and if you drove down Chatham Road and you were driving by my house, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to honk or see what Jay's doing, and you look over and you saw me with my arms around the tree. I'm not even, my arms aren't long enough, and I was just doing this. And you're driving by, what would you be thinking? You'd be like, what, you know, oh, what, what's, what's Jay doing over here? Is this some kind of tree hugging? You know, is he shaking the tree to get acorns? You know, what, what is he doing? And if you roll down your window, they're like, hey, um, Jay, I see your arms around the tree pulling. What are you trying to do? You know, if I said, no, I'm, I'm pulling out the tree, you would... You, you would think, obviously, I'm joking, that like Jay is the kind of person who would just stand outside with his arms around the tree just to do a joke, you know, just waiting for someone to drive by asking what I'm doing. Because no one is going to try to pull out a tree. It can withstand the wind. The vision that the psalmist is laying before us is happiness and flourishing emerges from a life that's anchored in a truth stronger than itself. We see anchored in a truth, a life-giving 
truth that's not blown over. And, and the tree as well, the roots need the water in order to grow, in order to have that strength. The roots need a source outside of itself. And so what is the source that can enable you to have a degree of permanence and strength to withstand the winds of life? We've said that God's word anchors us in a life-giving truth. When you hear the word truth, what do you think? Truth. Some of us, when we think of truth, we have a degree of caution. In fact, we live in what some consider a post-truth world. In 2016, post-truth was the word of the year, according to Oxford Dictionary. And post-truth, uh, one philosopher, Simon Blackburn, philosopher from Cambridge, he defines the post-truth world. He defines it this way. Post-truth is the disappearance of shared objective standards for truth. It's the disappearance of shared objective standards for truth. And it has risen through academ the academy and through kind of postmodernism. And so, and, but it's really not just not believing in truth. Right, Blackburn points out that it's applied specifically to the areas of politics, ethics, and religion. This idea that, that we, we, the disappearance, the lack of shared standards through which we can say something is true or something is false. So we live in a post-truth world. Expressions of this, uh, to further clarify, you know, um, we boil, we can boil truth claims down to just one's personal experience rather than looking at the data, looking at the facts, looking at the truth of things. So one could produce a, a documentary and an app that would relay a message that says, if you want to beat cancer, you just need to eat healthy. You need to experience, you need to pursue a holistic lifestyle. Uh, this was what Belle Gibson did. She was an Australian health and wellness guru, and, and maybe you've heard her story. She started an app called Whole Pantry, and it became a big deal with lots of followers. And then and she, what, she sh what she said, what she claimed was that she had cancer, and because she ate well, she was able to beat the cancer and be cancer-free. But the truth of the matter is, is that she was lying. But a lot of people still believe it, that if we just eat healthy, we can beat this form of cancer. But that ignores the data. That's an expression of a post-truth world where we, we just believe in people's story, even if it contradicts the facts. Because it supports our way of life. I'm not saying don't pursue wholeness and health and that eating healthy isn't good for you. But if you think that's just the means for you to beat cancer and you can ignore your doctors, there's a degree of foolishness. We live in a post-truth world in many respects. Now, as Christians, wanting to be anchored in God's word, as Christians, we should be pro-truth. Pro-truth. And pro-truth in all of its forms. Pro-truth in all of its forms. Not just what we claim to think the Bible says, but truth in all of its forms. As Christians, we should be pro-science. We are, we are not afraid of science. We, Christians should be leading experts in the field of learning truth scientifically. 
We should not, as Christians, spread conspiracy theories. Maybe you've gotten email change that might share something that seems to contradict what the mainstream media and everyone else, you know, we have these ways of caricaturing people who don't spread the truth that we claim to represent. We need to, as Christians, be discerning and not foolish to spread false information. We, we want to be pro-truth in all of its forms. But also, we must be pro the core truth that the Bible is all about. We said that we are anchored in a life-giving truth and story, a story bigger than ourselves. I mean, we're talking about Scripture, talking about God's law, talking about God's Word. What is the Bible? What is it? This is core. This is foundational. What is the Bible? The Bible is not a book about the physical laws of the universe. It is not a scientific textbook. The Bible also is not primarily about moral law. It will. We'll talk in a moment about how God gives perspective and wisdom. But it is not primarily a list of laws that if you keep them, God will accept you. And if you fail, he will reject you. No. I mean, how do we know that? Pick out any character in the Bible other than Jesus. <laughs> any care, Abraham. You know, Abraham, <laughs> Abraham, the founder of the Jewish and Christian faith, Abraham said, claimed, he lied and said that his wife was his sister so he could survive twice. Moses killed a guy and then doubted God in his ministry. The Bible does not connect this, these characters who have this incredible faith, and if you just do what they do, you will make it in certain... Now, the Bible is about one character, Jesus Christ. The Bible is about God's unconditional, unfathomable love. The core truth of the Bible is that you and I, we are more sinful than we thought, but more loved and cherished by God than we could have ever imagined. This is the core truth. The Bible, as we said, it is about flourishing, about how God wants to rescue you and empower you to flourish in life. This is the core truth of the Bible. And when you anchor your life in that truth, when you anchor your heart and your identity in that story. Now, now there is a truth that says you are loved. No matter what you tell yourself, no matter what others tell you, you are loved, you are cherished, and through the finished work of Jesus, you are redeemed in God. Why is scripture good news? How can it lead to happiness and genuine flourishing? Because it anchors us in a truth, a life-giving truth and story that is bigger than ourselves. But also, how does God's word lead to happiness, lead to flourishing? God's word, it brings wisdom. It gives us wisdom. It brings a way of living that can lead to flourishing. God's word, it brings, when we think of wisdom, 
You know, wisdom is, it is skilled living. It's, it's not just having all the facts. We know people who can be truth people and smart people, but they can be unwise. <laughs> it's both having the discernment and then applying what you know. That's, this is wisdom. And God's word brings wisdom. Uh, we see here perspective and direction in the psalm. Uh, it opens up in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's a progress here. There's, there's, it begins with the perspective who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, that they're, they're not informed by evil as it, as it relates to life. But, in verse 2, the contrast, the blessed person, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. We see there is a contrast here, just like the tree and the chaff. There is a contrast in perspectives. The person whose counsel is shaped predominantly by those who will lead them away from God and the person whose, whose perspective of life is shaped by God's word. And as we mentioned we live in a post-truth world, and, and one of the ways that post-truth emerges is there's silos of information. Maybe you've heard of this, uh, like echo chambers, where people will go to one news channel to get stories that confirm their view on the world and will avoid engaging and watching or just be angry at uh, people who have a different take. And, and then this can be per perpetuated in social media where we simply follow people and it creates this echo chamber where we have our whole value system and our way of living, our data, and anyone and any outside information we just reject. We think it's uh, biased and we have our own little silos. How do we, what do we do as Christians? How do we think if we want to be about truth? And again, recognizing truth is outside of Ourself. That humbles me. Because if truth is just outside of me, it means just because I think something's true doesn't make it true. If there's, if there's genuine truth, then just because I yell about it or preach about it or believe it, it doesn't make it true. And so as someone who's wanting to pursue truth, I need the voices of people with different perspectives to grow in understanding God's truth. And I need to bring that to how I study God's truth, his word. We need different perspectives. We need others to learn. And that is what is so beautiful about the Bible. The Bible, the, the, if you don't hear, the Bible is amazing. Here, I'll say this. If you want to remain safe in your 21st century American white perspective on the world, don't read the Bible. <laughs> because the Bible will challenge you. The Bible will bring you to people and places that will challenge your way of thinking. The Bible, it's written, the Bible is so diverse. The Bible has well over 40 different authors at least 40 different authors. There's numerous genres. There's narrative. There's poetry. Uh, there's prophetic words. Uh, there, there's letters written by people to churches in particular places and cultures very different than our own. The Bible's, and the Bible also, it's been studied for thousands of years. That means there's, 
There's various views. People have been studying and researching and trying to understand and apply this book for thousands of years. Now, that might question if, if we just want an airtight truth that gives us all the easy answers. God could have given us one person to write just a theological manual and answer all, the, but God, he gives us a diverse take on his one central message. And the diversity isn't just in the past, it's today. I mean, right now, all over the world, all over the world, millions of men and women are engaging this book, finding life in this book, truth in this book, seeking to live this book out. If you just want to remain safe in your 21st century American perspective, don't read the Bible. But if you're open to being challenged by a diverse collection of writings and people and experiences, God's truth can reshape your life. It gives a new perspective on life. And as God's people, we, we need the voices of others. We need. We need the voice of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. We need the voices of our brothers and sisters in other parts of our country experiencing situations vastly different than our own. We are not to be threatened by different views, but strengthened by different views, holding to that one central truth that through Jesus Christ we can flourish and find ultimate life. But also, it's not just our perspective. God's word can reshape our life. It brings wisdom. It does, we don't just have a new lens, but, but we have a new direction. In the text, you see movement the person, he walks not in the counsel of the wicked, so there's walking, and then it moves to standing, and then it moves to being seated. There's movement here. Movement. We need God's word to shape our life in such a degree that there is genuine transformation and change. The metaphor of the tree, it says, in all he does, he prospers. There's fruitfulness. There's strength. God's word is not simply to be studied, it's to be applied. Wisdom is skilled living, not merely skilled understanding. And as we kind of wrap things up, I want to give one example of this, how God's word can bring wisdom, how it empowers us to live well, to flourish. You know, we began this morning talking about happiness and how, you know, we search for happiness. We try to avoid hard things or pursue what we want. But as we mentioned, you know, just getting that new car, getting what we want doesn't make us happy. Often, we, we need to have more than another person. <laughs> it's not just getting the new phone. You, you have your phone, and then all of a sudden, your friend got the newer iPhone. And you're just like, oh, man, yours has like, it recognizes your belly button to turn it on? That's pretty sweet. I didn't even think of that, but... You know, you, you look at what someone else has, and no, an iPhone doesn't do that yet. You look at what someone else has, and you, you want more. You know, you could have just had a nice Saturday. You know, yesterday, you're chilling at your house, a nice, warm Saturday afternoon in Columbus, and you go on social media, and your friend's in the Bahamas. You're like, oh, yeah. I knew it was a bad day. I mean, I could be there. 
we don't just want what we want, we want more. This is the narrative that our consumeristic culture can present to us. God's word, it says, no, I get, God wants to give a new narrative, a new way of looking at people and the world. That blessings and gifts from God aren't just for you and your happiness, but they are a means. They are something to be channeled for the flourishing and joy and blessing of other people. That's why, again, we're talking about central message of the Bible. God, when he establishes his people, Abraham, he says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. The whole, the core of God calling a people, forming a people, wasn't so that they would just be better than everyone else. That was the problem, what they missed it. They forgot that they're here to be a blessing to the world. They thought they were better. And God says, no, you need to be blessing. God's word, it gives us a new narrative and it sends us out with a whole new way of relating in the world. And so, what's bringing you happiness? What's enabling you to flourish? Are you just trying to avoid hard things? Are you living your life trying to accumulate people and possessions for you? Are you trying to find happiness just in your own self? God's word it can be an anchor. It can anchor you to a life-giving truth, and it can give you wisdom on how to live. Let's pray. God, your word is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for your scripture that communicates to us not just different people's takes on you, but it communicates to us how you have worked in the world. And God, we are grateful that, that the Bible is a collection of so many different expressions. We have, as we'll see later in the Psalms, we have prayers of lament and suffering. We have people doubting. We have people struggling. We, we, so many different expressions. And we're thankful for that because that is life, God. That is life. Life, it can bring a wind that wants to crush us and blow us away. Lord, may we, may we root ourselves, anchor ourselves in your words so that we can be nourished by its truth and we can be informed and have a perspective on how to live. Amen.